This morning we're going to take up some time in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and we're going to look at the first uh, seven verses. As you know, we've been tracking through the book of Hebrews these past months, and uh, we've made it to uh, chapter 11. This is the, some have called the great hall of fame of faith, and because it uh, goes back and recites and deep dives into the Old Testament, talks about all these individuals and the faith in God and what God did through them uh, in light of their faith. And I'm hoping that we'll learn a lot uh, about what it means to draw near to him by faith. But before, we, before I read that passage, to maybe set the stage for it uh, like this, at the end of chapter uh, 10, uh, the author of Hebrews makes reference to folks that are in prison. Okay, they've been in prison. They're in prison because of their faith. And there's individuals in the community that Hebrews is, is going to and he's commending them for still reaching out to those individuals that are in prison, uh, still saying they're, they're connected to them. Because by doing so, they, they're putting themselves at risk because they could get pushed back uh, for their faith. In verse 34, he says, he says that then you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. I don't know about you, that that kind of impresses me. Even though they could get pushback, even though if they reach out to their friends and identify with them, uh, it could mean a loss for them. It could hurt them. It could come back to, to haunt them, so to speak. But they embraced that opportunity because they knew of something better. They had a joy somewhere else, something else that, that held them, that freed them up uh, to be that bold and to be that uh, a loving, if you will, with other people. And I think that helps us move into chapter 11 as he talks about this idea of faith. It sets us up with, am I believing like that? And how can I believe like that? How can my life be characterized uh, like we see here uh, from these uh, Hebrews? And so as you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 11, and I'll read for us verses 1 through 7. Let's hear God's Word. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. By faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is, in, that is in keeping with faith. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, this is uh, heavy stuff. It's weighty stuff. It's uh, life-defining kinds of things that we see here. And so we pray in these moments that you would give us ears to hear in hearts to understand and embrace um, this faith that you call us to. We ask in Christ's name, amen. 
Would you please be seated? A number of years ago at a church that we served, there was uh, one family that uh, my wife and I met um, that I think will always kind of stick with us. Will always uh, be a source of encouragement uh, to us. And the reason is this. Uh, this woman whose name was Betsy, she had six girls, all blonde-headed, okay? Beautiful girls. One was in college, and so I didn't get to, we didn't get to know her as well. But four of them were in middle school, high school, and then one was in um, primary school or grade school. And so being the youth guy there, it was important that I get to know them and certainly the, the mother, and they were easy to get to know, very involved in the church, very involved in youth group, and always there with a positive attitude and wanting to learn and participate and so on. But I noticed that the father was never around. And so after a while, kind of thinking through this, where's the dad? What's up? What's up with that? And finally, at, the, at the, kind of the right time, and I talked to somebody, and I said, you know, where's, where's the father? What's, what's going on here? And they said, well, he passed away. He passed away maybe two or three years before we had, had gotten there and before we met this family. And I kind of asked, well, why is that? I mean, he was, I mean, to have six teenagers, in effect, you've got to be probably a pretty young person. I said, well, what happened? I said, well, he didn't give me all the details, but the gist of it was he was, you know, life was great for the family. Life was great for him. And uh, he got sick and uh, went to the hospital, and they said it was something, and he left, but only to find out that it was really something else, and he passed away because of it. And so somehow the hospital had a hand in his passing away. And again, I don't know all the details. But I remember this family, I remember these children, and I especially remember the, the mother, that uh, the amazing faith that she had in the midst of that. I mean, here you are as a single mom now, and you've got these six beautiful kids that you're raising, and it would rock your world, especially spiritually. God, how could you allow this to happen? What is the deal? And it would be easy just to push back from him. But what, I, what we saw in her was her saying to her girls, in effect, I don't know how this happened. I don't know why this happened. Uh, but we are not going to blame God. We're going to trust him. We're going to continue to lean into him. We're going to continue to love him and depend upon him. And there was never any bitterness in their lives, in their attitudes, especially in the lives of these girls. And they were faithful to God. That always amazed me. In the midst of that situation, they didn't pull back. It didn't uh, scar them in such a way that they're ever, never able to, willing to, to walk out and really trust him. Most of those girls are married now, and they're raising beautiful, godly kids. And it's amazing to see how God worked in their lives. And it impresses me, and it leaves me with that, that encouragement uh, to think, what does it mean to walk with him? What does it mean to trust him? What does it mean to have faith in him? Hebrews, as we've described it, is written to a community that's struggling. You can imply that from what I said moments ago, that life is not going as they expected it would go. There's been surprises. There's been difficulties. And Hebrews is like this long sermon that's been given to them for, to counsel them, to encourage them, to, to strengthen them. And now we're at the point in the book of Hebrews where he's starting to talk about faith. What does it mean to have faith, and how do we define faith 
And how does faith help us in the midst of the circumstances that we find ourselves in? And chapter 11 unwraps that understanding of faith and what it means to walk with God and to be a disciple. And so two points I have for us to talk about. If you're disappointed there's only two points, well, they're really good two points, okay? We're going to talk about the nature of faith. What does it mean to how faith is defined for us and how do we grow in this faith? How do we move deeper in this faith? And then we're going to look at how faith is personal because there's individuals that the author goes into that articulate and and help frame for us or illustrate for us what this faith looks like and, and some of the details and character of it that should be in our own lives. So first, let's talk about faith as certainty. Faith is certainty. Classic verse, verse 1. Many of you are familiar with it. He says, faith is what? He says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance what we do not see. Other translations have it as, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Think about faith in a nutshell as a massive sense of certainty. In other words, a a massive sense of the certainty of God and his promises. In a sense, that's what faith is. A massive sense of the certainty of God and his promises. And I don't mean that that faith is being optimistic. Faith is is always being positive. Faith is just always having that, that wishful thinking. Faith is not faith in faith that things will work out. It's not any of those things, but biblical faith is faith in the certainty of God, the trustworthiness of God, and His Word, His promises, the gospel, the good news, all those things. It's a a certainty, this massive certainty that we should have. Well, one question to ask ourselves is, well, how does this massive certainty of who God is and His promises, the trustworthiness of those things, how does that come into our lives? How do we find it? Well, On the one hand, it's given to us. Our faith is given to us. It's a gift. It's something that God supplies. For example, in Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. To believe in God, to know his grace, to trust him, it's a gift. It's something that God gives to us. That's not to say that faith just shows up on our doorstep one day. Like you're, you get home from work one night, you open the front door, and there's an Amazon box there. You open it up inside, and you, and you realize, well, faith is here. I open it up, and look, honey, here it is. And it just comes to us out of nowhere. Uh, it's not something that's just zapped into your life out of thin air. But faith happens in our lives in a context. It happens in our lives in the context of the gospel, in the good news, in hearing God's word, in, in reading God's word, in comprehending these promises that he gives to us. And I think that means that there is a reasonableness to our faith. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is Jesus and the disciples in the storm at sea. Mark chapter 4. Disciples are out there. And these disciples, these are, these are fishermen. They know the sea. They, they're comfortable being on open water. And Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And this storm is rushing in upon them. And the disciples freak out. And they've got to go back and wake Jesus up. And say to him, in effect, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you, aren't you concerned about what's going on here? You need to wake up and do something. And, of course, Jesus wakes up, and he literally says one word, and it's calm. Everything stops. There's a stillness on the water there. 
And then he turns to the disciples and he says to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Why does he say that? Have you still no faith? What he's doing there, what I think he's doing there, he's saying in effect, Hey, disciples, I've been with you for four chapters in this Gospel of Mark. You've seen me do incredible things. You've seen me heal people. You've seen me speak and teach with great authority. You've seen me heal this paralytic. You've seen me forgive sins. And you know that only God can forgive sins. You've seen what I've been doing. It's only reasonable that, of course, I'm concerned about you. And, of course, I can help. And he says to him, why do you still have no faith? Where is your faith? You should be thinking about the context of who I am. And it would, in light of that, it's only reasonable that you would trust me. It's only reasonable that you would have this massive certainty about the things of God and his promises and his good news. One of the best ways I've heard how, we, uh, how faith is, is a process for us and how we grow in faith and is expressed uh, like this. Faith, in a sense, is a process. You grow deeper in it. When you think about it like this, uh, faith starts with, certainly it starts with an understanding, and it moves to having a conviction about something, and then it moves to commitment or it moves to action. So there's understanding, conviction, commitment. You think about that process. And really that's how we exercise and make, make decisions. That's how we decide to do things. It's just in this case we're applying it to God. So say, for example, you've got to have knee surgery. Okay, you've been blessed. The doctor says to you, I've got great news. We get to replace one of your knees. You're going to love it. Okay, and then you begin to think, okay, who am I going to get to do that? Who's going to be the doctor to do that? And so you've got to come to an understanding about that. And you ask your friends, who's replaced your knee? Did you like them or not? You talk to the physical therapist because physical therapists see people who've had knee surgeries all the time and they can say to you, Go to this doctor, don't go to that doctor, okay? And so you do your homework, you investigate it, okay? You're seeking understanding. And then what do you do next? You've got to make a decision. You've got to have a conviction about it. Do I do Dr. Y or do I do Dr. X? And you say, you know what, I'm going to do Dr. Black. It's an unfortunate name for a doctor, but we're going to go with Dr. Black because he can do the best thing. And you say, he's our guy. What's the next step? You've got to commit to that. You've actually got to lay down on the table, so to speak. You've got to let them put you to sleep. You've got to let them do the surgery. You've got to have a sense of commitment. And it's only when you commit to that do you know with certainty. And it's the same that Jesus is trying to communicate to them on that lake. Why do you still have, where is your faith? He's saying there's a reasonableness to it. You should be understanding. There should be a sense of conviction. and There should be a sense of commitment that allows you to go through this storm. It's a process of growing in our faith and being identified with him. There's something else, I think, about uh, verse 1 that that stuck out to me, and I've never really noticed this before until I started uh, looking at it this past week. And that's when he says, faith is confidence or assurance in what we hope for, in what we hope for. Our faith is connected to hope. When do you need hope? You need hope or you want hope when there's a discontent, discontentment with your status quo, with the here and now. That's when you want hope, when you're not happy with how things are going now. 
You hope for a better job because you don't like your job now. You hope for a better marriage because you don't like your marriage now. You hope for more money because you don't have money now to pay the bills. There's discontentment that's driving you to hope. And you think about that in your walk with the Lord. You think about that in the context of biblical faith. Is there a discontentment that's driving you to the Lord? Most of us are are completely happy with the homes that we live in, the lifestyles that we live, and and what is going on in our day-to-day lives. But is there something underneath the surface of that that says, you know what, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more out there. There's got to be something in, in, in there that, that, that's saying this, is, this can't be it because it's not satisfying. I need something more. Is that discontentment driving you to hope? Because what the Hebrews is saying in essence is if you want to know biblical faith, assurance of faith, the conviction of faith, there has to be a discontentment about you, about this world that you're living in, about the, the, who you are as a person that says there's got to be something more. Life is great. But there's something that's not right, and that drives you to faith. It drives you to the promises of God. It drives you to the gospel. Is there a healthy discontentment about you? And are you allowing that discontentment to move you towards Christ, to move you towards the hope of all that he is and what he has done for you? Well, that's a little bit of what faith is and how maybe the process of faith in our lives. Let's look at some of the illustrations of faith that we see and see how faith is personal. Uh, he gives three individuals that we see in this passage, and we're going to talk about uh, two of them. One, we're going to see a warning, and the other one, we're going to see a call or the, the commitment of faith. So the first illustration is, is a warning, and it's through Abel. Verse 4, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. So here is verse 4 talking about Genesis chapter 4 and the the sacrifice of Cain and Abel. Abel brings to God an animal sacrifice. He tends flocks, he takes care of animals, and that's what he brings him. Cain brings uh, a sacrifice, but it's the work of his hands. He's a farmer in essence, so he brings his, some of his crops, the first fruits of his crops, to God as a sacrifice. If you dive into Genesis chapter 4, you see there that God had uh, acceptance of Abel's sacrifice, if you will, but Cain's he did not accept. He preferred Abel's, but he didn't prefer uh, Cain's sacrifice. And Hebrews says to us, why is that? It's because Abel had faith. Now think about what the author of Hebrews is doing. He's making a comparison between Cain and Abel, the faith of Cain, and I guess the lack of faith on the part of Cain. And so what do they have in common? What's similar about them? Uh, They both come from the same parents, Adam and Eve. Uh, They both receive the same teaching about God. Uh, They both are seeking to worship God, and they both make sacrifices to God. Yet one was rejected and one was accepted. Why is that? Well, because Abel had faith, yes, but what was significant about that? What was the difference that we see there? Abel brought a different offering, and I think that helps us to understand why his was accepted and why Cain's was not. Because you've got to ask yourself, okay, if they knew to make offerings and they knew that God wanted sacrifices like that, how did they know that? Well, God had to communicate to them somehow in some shape or some form. 
And so you go to Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 is that, that passage, tragedy happens where they get found out for, Adam and Eve get found out for being disobedient, for doing something that went against God's will, and there's punishments that's laid out. But in verse 21 of chapter 3, we see God making garments for them because of their shame, because of their guilt, because of their nakedness. God was covering that up. And to cover that guilt up, to cover that shame up, an innocent life had to die. Blood had to be shed. And so it stands to reason that Abel was simply following the pattern of the teaching that he received from his parents of bringing a live or a living sacrifice to God, and that's what was appropriate. And so it was this faith in that and how God instructed him to bring that to him. But Cain brought what? Cain brings the work of his hands to God, and God rejects it. And so the warning for us is to think through, what am I bringing to God? What kind of sacrifices is he asking of me, in a sense? And what does it look like for me to approach him? Abel, in essence, approaches him with empty hands. He says, I'm giving to you the, the sacrifice that you require, something living. And he does it in the pattern that his parents have been teaching him. And he does it, as we know it, on this side of the cross, in the hope that Christ, and the blood of Christ, would be shed and would bring forgiveness, would be that the offering that we need, the sacrifice that we need. And so, in essence, Abel is coming with what? With empty hands. He's saying, I, I can bring nothing. I, everything I bring to you, I'm just simply giving you the, the sacrifice uh, that I need to be made right with you. Whereas Cain is bringing what? He's bringing the work of his hands. He's bringing what he has done to God. And God accepts Abel's sacrifice. He accepts what was offered to him. Last one. Look at, think about Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he's commended, condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping with faith. So think about the story of Noah for a moment. Go back in your recollection of the story of Noah. It's interesting to me, I think, in a sense, that you, know, you go to um, maybe a nursery or a, a children's room, and you'll see pictures of the ark on that thing, and you'll see animals on that in there. And our parents' bathroom, when we go visit them, our kids use this bathroom, and they've got this print on the wall of Noah and the ark, and it's kind of cartoony kind of thing. And I'm waiting for one of my kids to say, Daddy, why are there two sheeps? And why are there two giraffes and two elephants there? And what's the answer? Well, because God wiped out the whole human race, okay? It's not the most uh, uplifting uh, story that God brings this disaster uh, upon the whole world, but that's what's going on here. Noah hears this call from God, and by faith, he responds to it. And he says, says to Noah, build an ark. And he says to Noah, build this ark. And it's not like he lives in one of the ports near Charleston, and we're be, okay, it's not a big deal that he's building an ark. That's not quite unusual. But he's building an ark in the middle of Kansas, okay? Like 500 plus miles from any kind of ocean, he's building this. And he's building it in, to such a size that it's way beyond the needs of his own family. And he's doing it when the sun is shining. And when everybody's happy, disobeying the Ten Commandments, Noah is building this ark. You think about that. Why does he do that? Because his faith is defining him. Because he has a commitment of faith. Because he's heard this call of faith. In verse 6, it talks about... Uh, if you're going to come to God, you have to believe that he exists. 
And think about that in this respect. There's a difference between believing in God versus believing God. Noah displays for us the idea of believing God. He believed his word. He believed what he said he needed to do, and he believed what God said is going to happen. By believing God, he let God define him. He let God establish for him his identity, his reality. This is who he should be. This is what he should be basing his life and his plans, his joys, his, his sorrows upon how God defines things, according to how God establishes reality for him. And so have you gotten into the point in your life when you've moved beyond believing in God to believing God, believing him in the sense that he defines me, he shapes me, I'm, I'm living this commitment of faith. The commitment of faith means that it's like when I said earlier that you finally choose the doctor and this is going to do it. It's not a commitment until you lay down on the table and allow him to do surgery. That's when you know certainty. That's when you're really experiencing trust. Have you gotten to that point in your life with your faith and you're laying down and you're trusting him? You're letting God define you. You're believing God. Let's pray and ask that he would work in our hearts. Father God, it's an act of faith to lie down on the table and to let you do your work. So help us to be a people that believe you, not with the words that we say, but with our actions, with our hearts, with our attitudes. All of us have different things that you have upon us that our lives are about, and we know what it is to believe in God and be defined by this faith that you have shown us. And so we pray that you would work, that you would give us this discontentment with the here and now that drives us to the hope of eternity, the hope of your promises, the hope of your reality. We ask that you would do that through Christ and for your glory. In his name we pray. Amen.